It's a bit like buying a very hungry Rottweiler and then putting bacon on your heels and starting to jog. <laughs> my guys are snapping at my heels, trying to take a little lump out of me. My job is to get my students better than me. Hi, this is Mick Tully and you're listening to Mixed Martial Arts. Hey guys, how you doing? On today's episode of Mixed Martial Arts, I'm with one of the leading lights of Wing Chun in the UK. And more importantly, one of the guys I used to read about in Combat Magazine when I was a young boy, dreaming one day of actually getting good at martial arts, which I never actually have done. I, yeah, everybody that I'm an instructor under, I apologise. I, I think I've just, uh, yeah, I, I've bamboozled you into believing I'm pretty good. It's the one and only Master Sean Rawcliffe. I've got that right. I can call you Master, or would you rather Sifu just or Sean? Sean. Just Sean. Yeah, I like that. I like your star. So, Sean, thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you, right? So, where did you start martial arts? Where did I start martial arts? Oh, now that's an embarrassing story. Right. Um, I was bullied at school. <laughs> so at the age of 11 I decided I need to do martial arts yeah. and um, I lived in North Yorkshire at the time so choices were rather limited Yeah. so I did six weeks of judo right I would have done longer but the cute blonde in the corner that I really really liked threw me on my backside very quickly and my um, embarrassment prevented me from going back really so that was judo for me out the window so uh, looking around there was a local karate school so I got into the local karate school. Yeah. Um, I trained from 11 through to 17, 17 and a half. Uh, fortunately, won my first dan. Right. And um, I got a little bit disillusioned with it. And that wasn't a re- the reflection on the martial art I was doing. And it was, certainly wasn't a reflection on the instructor. It's just that my personal motivation was for street self-defense. Right. And it felt very kata, competition, sparring oriented and not practical oriented, which is really what, what, where I was coming from. Um, so I then went into uh, York, at York University at the time, they had a sports club and they had lots of martial arts teaching and um, there was a mixture of um, Kushankai Karate, there was some Jiu Jitsu, there was some other Karate styles, um, a little bit of Muay Thai in there and the instructors used to meet afterwards, after the class. Right. So my my first introduction into mixing with martial arts, I'm going to choose my words carefully there, yes. was training with these guys, all of whom would add a little bit of flavour and would sort of test each other. So we sort of lost the traditionalists I guess yes. and we just kept, became a group of guys with some martial arts skills testing each other's finding out how it worked against sharing each other. ideas yeah, and absolutely so. um, and, and I, I remember um, a, a little story about a, a judo brown belt joining us and at the time my, my experience of judo was naively limited apart from the, the cute blonde apart from the cute blonde <laughs> I've never, never forgotten to be fair <laughs> um, and I remember we, I mean, we trained full contact. There was no rules, there was nothing. It was just like, just test it, test it, test it. And I remember this judo joining and, and, and myself, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say, and another guy going, oh yeah, it's only a judo guy. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. He can't even punch. Let's not yeah. worry about it. So um, I remember the, the Kai Shinkai instructor coming at me and, and throwing a really powerful punch. And I caught out the corner of my eye, the judo guy kept at me. So I hit the, 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 the Kai Shinkai instructor, turned, punched the judo guy and turned back to the Muay Thai guy who was coming in turned back round to finish the judo guy who obviously was going to be lying on the floor in front of me yeah. who had rolled with the punch rolled out of it stood up and then I turned around gave me one of the best punches on the nose I've ever wow. had in my entire life yeah. and, and it was a humbling experience that no yeah. matter who you are and what you are it doesn't matter what martial art you do there is good in everything Oh, and it was a wonderful experience uh, and, it, and it made me just re- reevaluate my perception of martial arts bizarrely teaching Jeet Kune Do yeah, and I'm not saying I'm the best in the world 
But I'm an instructor under, like, arguably the finest martial artist of our generation, Danny Nozanzo, oh, well. who will turn around and say, first of all, you have to understand everything broadly, but the important stuff you have to understand deeply. Mm-hmm. And martial arts, mixed martial arts doesn't do that because, you know, again, there's being street effective and functional, but is there any depth to that? Yeah. And is that going to grow with you as a person? So... How did you get into Wing Chun then? Um, oh, yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a, a long story which I'll curtail. In, in essentially, um, three weeks after my 18th birthday, my mum died, oh, right. and um, I was then left to look after my brother. Right. Once my brother was sorted, I'd missed the university intake. I'd, I'd got a place booked to university. I was going to study architecture, ironically. Really. And, and I missed the placement because I was too busy getting my affairs in order. So having missed that and not and not been able to go for another year, I decided to go on holiday. I went on holiday to Tunisia, North Africa, and uh, in the mornings I was training on the beach because it was far too hot. Met a, I met a guy. He was, he was training a little bit further at the beach, obviously doing some form of martial arts, and we started training together. And we trained every day. And he was asking my story, my background, and what you got to go back to England. Oh, you should stay and train. I will get you a job. And I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a bit like a holiday bromance. I'm going to be very careful. I was <laughs> Um, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, don't worry. And um, he said, oh, you know, I, I work as a bodyguard and I will get you a job. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine, no worries. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'll sort it out for you. I said, yeah, fine. And about three days before I was due to go home, he turned up with, a, do you remember the old faxes? A fax yes. contract in Arabic. Now, my Arabic is, well, zero. Well, it's, um, so I'm like, and he's going to be better than mine. Sign right? this, sign this, and I'll get you a job. And I'm like, yeah, I'll probably just sell my girlfriend for three camels and a. Yeah. <laughs> And a timeshare and four camels and you know been yeah we might have been going yeah, yeah exactly um, so I was um, I, I, fortune smiles smiles on people occasionally and we, uh, in a conversation a few days before the local holiday rep there the, the, the lady who was the holiday rep also had a local um, solicitor boyfriend right and um, I, I joked oh you, you know give him that and he'll give him a laugh and she came back said it's genuine she says, he knows the family he knows who they are and um, it's a genuine contract so I was like I can either go home and sit around on my backside doing nothing, or I can take the opportunity. Uh, and I'm a great believer in life, that life is like going down a road and you come to a crossroads and some always turn left and some turn right. And sometimes you've just got to seize the moment. So I thought, well, what have I got to lose? That, well, you see, that is the truth. I've had that a few times in my life. You don't get them very often. And if you're insightful enough, when they hit you, and I know there is that clo- it's that sliding doors moment. And I can pinpoint three po- moments in my life where I was like, like ironically, one of them was coming out of there, coming out of a tube station in London where I was supposed to be going to train train with Bob Breen when I was nineteen, and I met an old friend of mine from school. We ended up going to the bar. It took me another eleven years before I ended up going to train down in London. But that was one of the moments. But it's interesting you said that because one of the first things I remember reading about you in Combat Magazine was that you were actually a bodyguard. And I think, it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it Cynthia Rothrock or who was it you were looking after? I've, I've done a few, but Cynthia Rothrock's one of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so what happened was that, that I, I took the opportunity to, to work with the family. I yeah. worked out um, in North Africa and in Riyadh for two years. I right. got trained up from the bottom upwards, learnt all my skills, and then, unfortunately, I got injured. Um, I, I hurt my penis, let's say, one day. Wow. Um, and having got hurt, um, went back to my apartment and... How can I put it nicely? However well-respected you are by the people you work for, you're still a commodity. So the locks have been changed, my suitcase is waiting for me, my passport was waiting for me, a paycheck was waiting for me, and because I couldn't carry on working because I was a little bit injured, 
That was my job over. But you were injured in the line of duty, as they say, right? Yeah, effectively. So wow, that's a wake-up call, right? Yeah, it certainly was, uh, and it could have been another career-changing moment. So I, I came back to the UK, and I was like, right, I'm going to set up my own company, and I'm going to I'm going to work in close protection. But the money's not here, the business isn't here. It's not as affluent by any stretch of the imagination. I, I have a couple of friends of mine in the UK who do it. Uh, if you want to work in that, and it's always consummate. So, yeah, if you want big money, be prepared. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. And, and as a, you know, an 18, 19, 20-year-old, no commitments, it's brilliant. The problem yeah. is I haven't got the maturity that I have now. So if I could have had my maturity at that age without free, I'd, I'd have been absolutely brilliant at it. Yeah. Um, but my maturity level wasn't as good. So I was a little gung-ho and I was still a bit green behind the ears. But what happened was, basically, while I was working out there, I met a gentleman um, who had done some Wing Chun. He uh, and I got chatting about martial arts in general, and he said to, uh, I remember saying to me, oh, so what do you do? I said, I do so-and-so, so-and-so, mostly karate. Oh, right, yeah, that's no good. And I was like, I was looking at him thinking, well, that's not very respectful. And he said, no, I don't mean as a martial artist, it's not very good, but for the world that you're working in, it doesn't work. So I said, explain. Uh, and he was quite right. Um, basically, I was, I was, we were armed, we were carrying 9 mil Brownings everywhere. Um, if somebody posed a threat to our principal, at any distance at all, you would draw your, your firearm, you'd deal with the problem. That's what you were paid to do. Yeah. Um, but if I was walking through one of the souks or one of the mouths and um, somebody got up close and personal before they presented as a threat, my Mwashigari or whatever wouldn't work because that's what my background was. In other words, the range was wrong. Yes. So he stood literally, and I kid you not, he was probably about a foot and a half from me. And he said, go for your weapon. So I did, on my hip. He probably smacks me in the nose. Yeah. And there's a lesson, and we, we all have to learn this lesson. If a man can do it that fast and punch you on the nose, never say to him, I bet you can't do that again. <laughs> um, I'll, take, I'll take your word for that. I will take so, your word for you that. Know, on, on, having done it twice, I kind of went, wow. Some people is... have to learn the lesson twice. Yeah, I'm a practical yeah, As you said, you're, and you're a younger, a little bit more gung ho, right? <laughs> I, I grew up a moment there. Yeah. I, I aged a moment there. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I was like, wow. Now, I knew nothing about Wing Chun. It could have been number 42 on the menu with the rice for all I knew. Yeah. But I was like, I like that. Yeah. So then I started. Now, I, I, I can't claim he taught me because he wasn't there to teach. We, we, we trained together. We did some stuff. He, he, he whetted my appetite. He gave me some insight. So when I came back to the UK, then that's when I started to research it. And who were you studying under then? I, my first instructor was a guy called Stephen Chan. Stephen Chan used to teach on the corner of Tottenham Court Road at the YMCA, privately. Right. And um, I would travel all the way down to see him and train with him. And that, that wasn't Stephen Chan who used to be in the martial arts magazines? Um, Stephen T.K. Chan, his, his name is Hong Kong, based in Hong Kong. Stephen T.K. Chan's the one who had the mullet. I don't, yeah, I don't want to show my age here, but that was a great haircut. That was a great haircut. He was, like, he was like a Chinese Fabio. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, and so I trained with him down at the, the YMCA on Tottenham Court Road, on one of the rooms up there. I used to travel down all the time and train with him. Wow. And I trained with him for about 18 months. Um, and then he was at the School of Cinema, Cinemography. Is that, am I telling that, yeah. that right? And um, movie making and stuff like that. And then yeah. he, he, he then eventually moved back to Hong Kong. Right. And I managed to catch up with him again in about 1986 in Hong Kong. Um, he's teaching in Hung Hong on, on Kowloon side. And I went across the sea. Oh, cool. A really nice so where did you go from there then? Uh, after that, I then went to the Simon Lau Academy. Right. So a friend of mine was teaching Simon Lau Academy, Simon Lau Academy um, branch in Leeds. 
and, and the guy called Danny Connor was also helping uh, a class out in Manchester. That's the Danny Connor. The Danny Connor. The um, Danny Connor. And, uh, the, yeah. Uh, once met, never forgotten. And so a, a character. Uh, there aren't words. No, as I as I as I said I said to Master Quark <laughs> earlier I said like Marmite. Yeah. Yeah, he was a he was a very strange but but lovable rogue type character yes. right on the fringes of common sense and reality. Well, um, there's a there's a fine line between genius and madness, etc., etc. Uh, everything, um, yeah, everything about the guy. Yeah, he was he very very enigmatic individual would be yeah, the best way. Yeah, to yeah. as you say, you you either got loved him or hated him. Yeah, and um, we so, got on great, and we always got on great. Really? Uh, well, I, I take people for what they are. Yeah. Um, you know. I didn't know him well enough or deep enough to see any of the negatives. I just you you hit, you're set on something. I I've had this. My wife always says that she says uh, she my my wife doesn't like martial arts. We've been together twenty seven years. Uh, she said she spent five years sitting watching me in a pair of pajamas teaching people, and she was like, "It's not for me anymore." But she said there is quite a lot of weird people in martial arts, and I said, "But we're all weird." And she went, yeah, but some weirder than others. And I said, well, the people who are weirder than others I only have to see for two hours a week. And you, you know, you could hang around with the craziest person on the planet for that. So, so that was it. So, after Simon, after so I, I, I trained up Simon Lau. Um, I ended up running the Birmingham branch of the Simon Lau Martial Arts Academy. Yeah. Um, and that went on um, till nineteen eighty four or something, somewhere around that ilk. Uh, and then. Um, Simon Lau basically was concentrating on his central London Albany Street gym. Yes. And I think out on the peripheral, we just felt a little bit lonely. Yeah. A little bit um, out on it. If I if I was, I used to travel down on the train to Euston um, every Sunday and train for a couple of hours at the gym um, with, with people like um, James Sinclair, Wai Po Tang, Anthony yes. Chu, and people like that. And um, but if I didn't travel down there. I wasn't going to get any training, and I just felt a little bit. Is it a bit of a one-way on street? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was promoting him. I was, I was promoting the school, um, and he'd got full-time gym. He'd got commitments. Um, as I say, it was just you know, I'm, I'm sure if he'd uh, if he was able to travel around, he probably would have done. But I just felt for me, I wasn't getting anywhere, right. um, and so I actually wrote to Hong Kong, and uh, I wrote to Master Chun, and I said, look, you know, I want to train. And I want to come train with you. Now, I've met Mastip Chum very, very briefly um, because he went to the official opening of Simon House Gym in, in the Albury Street in 1981, yes. I'm going to say, 1980. Perhaps my brain's failing. But he was there as a guest of honour. He didn't do anything. But yes. I was just fascinated by this little, frail Yes. Um, so I wrote to Hong Kong and said, look, I really want to carry my training. I really want to do this. I want to come out. You know, I want to do this learning stuff. And they were like, fantastic, fantastic. When are you arriving? And I'm like... I can't afford to go to Hong Kong. Uh, and so uh, they put me in touch with Samuel Kwok. Right. And they put me in touch with Samuel Kwok and said, look, got a student out in, in, in the UK. You've got an organisation. He's got an organisation. Go for there it. There you go. Um, and so that's what, that's what we did. And 1985, uh, Master came to the UK for the first time. So he came to my school. Um, he came to, um, I think it was in Manchester, Newcastle, Leeds and Stoke. Yes. And, um, yeah, blew me away. Yeah. Absolutely blew me away. Because I, I remember famously he didn't start Wing Chun until quite later on in he life, did was, he? He was, let me just think this through. I think he was something like, oh, I can't remember the number now. It, 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 yeah, it was 36, I think. 36, I think, I, I think yeah, that's no, the number. Because, because when Yip Man fled... Um, 
Hong, uh, flooded to Hong Kong in 1949 um, and settled in Hong Kong because of the, the, all the issues he was facing. Um, his two sons did go with him, but went straight back. Yes. Because they were still studying, and, 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 and Master Yip Chung was a, a university lecturer and stuff. So they stayed in there quite a lot longer. Um, they still struggled. They, they were still persecuted because of their family background and because of their intellect and all the other things that they, the Chinese community yeah, suffered but, with at that time. I can never understand that you can be victimised for being too intelligent. It's the one thing that, yeah, it's a curse. Thank God that I've never had to. Uh, Neither can I. About. I mean, I, I'm a, an abstract hater of isms at the best of times. I hate, you know, um, one of the one of the reasons why I don't teach for a living and I've never taught for a living is it allows me to hand pick who I teach. And um, I put everybody through a... a oh, are we separated at birth? <laughs> but I, I, I put everybody through a 16-lesson introductory course and they only pay per lesson, they don't pay anything else, they don't commit themselves to anything. And over the 16 lessons, whilst they're vetting me, I'm vetting them. And I, I, I'm, I'm always honest, I, I'm, I, the northerner in me can't hide. And I will tell everybody, my classroom is a dictatorship. What I say goes, I can't control what happens outside these four walls, but inside the walls, that's it. I will not have racists, I will not have bullies, I will not have sexists, I will not have thugs, I will not have idiots, I will not have know-it-alls. If they don't, want to play by my rules they go away because they're not feeding my baby they're not paying my mortgage they're not paying any money in my pocket so I don't have to teach them um, and there's always a saying that it's hard for a student to teach a t to find a teacher but I think it's harder for a teacher to find a student mm. um, because one thing I've learned over 30 whatever many years of teaching I've been doing is I can't change someone's innate stupidity if they have an attitude there will be an attitude with equipped tools and I don't want to do that so I can't change people's mentality. I, I know I can train somebody from a beginner level all the way to instructor level. I've proven it many, many times. Yes. But I've always done it with intelligent, determined, dedicated, like-minded individuals who you know have come up through the ranks because they've worked hard, um, but they're not bad people. No, I you, won't teach that mentality. Exactly. I, you know, I, I, really, I believe in the power of martial arts. Hmm. I believe it's to make a better world. And you, we do not, you would not give a loaded gun to a toddler. No. So why would you give these sort of skills to a moron? And, and it, just as you were saying, as you were saying it, it's the truth. It's like people's innate stupidity. I just used that line <laughs> this morning. I said, please, the first thing you have to understand that the longer you live on this planet is how stupid people are. Hmm. And some people know it, and that's what really, really just infuriates me. So, what was it about Wing Chun? Because you said something that did did spark something earlier when you said that you were going to study architecture. And the minute you said that, I was like, right, I get the I get the Wing Chun now because of the you know scientific. It, I mean, some you know you probably see my, some of my books, but I, when yeah, I teach, love it. I draw diagrams. Yeah, that's my learning style. Whether I inherit it from my father or whether it's just something that's innate in me, I don't know. Um, but I look at um, structures, and I, I look at them and go, "Well, right, well, it works because of this." I didn't know. I didn't know what a tricep or a bicep or a quadricep or a hamstring was. I didn't know what they did. Um, mm. I didn't understand any of that when I was training. But I did understand looking at structures how the the, the skeleton aligned and how it worked to make us powerful because our bones are powerful, our muscles aren't. <laughs> um, so a lot of people think that, that martial arts come, uh, you know, there's this inane thought that martial arts, you've got to be strong, you've got to be powerful. Um, but I always tell people, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with their thinking, but if I cut your bicep up and threw it on the floor, it's got the, it's got the strength of a piece of liver. 
Yeah. Where if I cut your arm off and your bone is still strong, whether it's attached or not, so the strength is in the bones and the muscles just align the skeleton to redirect the force from the point of contact to the floor. Uh, and once you once you start thinking through that, then I started drawing little diagrams. Yeah. Now what happened was when I went out to Hong Kong in '89, and I went out just to study. I was I was studying nearly nine hours a day. Wow. Siap Chun had just retired, sixty-five. Um, he hadn't started teaching openly anywhere. So I, again, right place, right time, right movements, and so. Um, I could train three hours in the morning, half an hour break, three hours in the half an hour break, three hours in the evening. And I just took over his time. I did it for six and a half weeks the first time. And then I went back six months later and six months later, six months later. So on the, uh, and I, I, the first time I stayed, I stayed at a friend's spot on the south side of Hong Kong Island. So we're talking about a, an hour to 45 minute journey by, uh, by the underground and yes. by, by bus. So my learning style was draw lots of diagrams and make lots of notes, but particularly the diagrams. So after training, I just have to make copious notes to try and capture as much as I could. Wow. Um, and for me, drawing those little triangle diagrams, drawing little stick diagrams, it's the way that I thought about and then visualized and then transmitted onto paper. My learning style is once I've written it down, it tends to stick. Just as you're saying this, this is out from the, uh everyone always thought it was a book, the Tao Jeet Kune Do, which wasn't a book. It, it was a connection with notes. notes, right? But the minute you said that, I'm literally straight away thinking about the Tao. And I, I, uh, I know this is yeah, quite, I'm a bit of a heretic to say this, but yeah, I've only ever read that book once and it didn't really make that much sense to me. And I was looking at it, I was going, I, it's, like, it's like studying for an exam on a subject that you're really interested in and the guy who was there only half put the notes down. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, the only way you can do it is to do it yourself, you know? Yeah, exactly, and, and so the, the, the book that I finally produced was a result of A, those initial notes. Yeah. Then about five years later, I realized that because I'd done it in a, in a, in a, a book, that not a loose leaf pad, that I got bits of information scattered around this book. So I then ripped all the pages out, put them in some logical order, even had to duplicate them, realised I'd got bits of information on the back of the page that didn't belong there. So I then started rewriting it. In rewriting it, I started rethinking it. And I'm looking back five years later going, did I really write that? What an idiot. I could have said that so much better. Yeah. With so much more. So I added and added to it. And about five years later, I did it again. And eventually it became that, that, that collection of notes. Yes. Which became my, my, my teaching syllabus and my training syllabus in my classroom. Right. Because it was just a logical step through that would take me long to get there. But it was all based on those those simple diagrams. I don't think you do Wing Chun. I think you do Jeet Kune Do. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what it sounds like to me because you're looking at the structure and the syllabus and going, right, how does this work for me? Which is, the, me personally, it's the first way. Yeah, you see all these, you know, we had this, we had this period in martial arts where everyone wanted to be an instructor about four years ago and you could be an instructor in two weekends mcdonald's martial arts yeah exactly right and as i always say i have a i have a certificate at home that says it's got mctilly world's greatest lover and i got it in blackpool once it's got my name on it and everything but unfortunately it's criminally criminally way back that's because you're the worst. second best i got the first best oh well there you are that, now we finally found out who it was right? I, Ah, so you're the one that my wife's been ringing. But anyway. And your house is lovely. Oh, thank you. Oh, dear. Uh, well, as long as you said the house is okay. Uh, but the first thing you have to do is, first of all, become a good student. Then you become an instructor. And people don't understand. To become a great instructor is, you have to go into areas that you know you're bad at. Oh, yeah. And understand why. That's your weakness. Exactly, it does. So what's your day-to-day -day training now? 
My day-to-day training is not enough. Right. I have a full-time job. I've got a very, strenu- very mentally strenuous job, and I love my job. What do you work as? I'm an IT security manager. So I work for... That's not, that's not a, a huge departure. That's, that's a logical progression yeah, of absolutely. what you were doing, right? No, it is, it's, it's an exact... And that's exactly what happened. About 1991 or something, I was looking after... Um, I've got to be careful what I say. I was looking after a gentleman in America who, who um, ran a, um, a website that, that was um, gambling. Offshore gambling. Right, Let's okay. Just put it like that. Yeah. And um, he was worried about threats to his family and stuff, uh, stuff like that. What actually happened was we got um, um, a, a contact point that basically said, if you don't pay us a million dollars, we are going to sabotage, do what's called the denial of service attack, yeah. sabotage your website. And he's saying to me, what shall I do? What shall I do? And I said, look, it's not a physical threat. It's not my job. I need you to sort it. And I'm like, I have no idea about a computer. I can play ping pong on the old TV and that'll be about yeah. it. So uh, we got a guy in and uh, some specialist in, came in and did all he had to do, because the, the, the website did go down for a day before we got another contact. Um, he came in, did everything he had to do, and he was there for about three days. He get paid more than I did for the six weeks. And I'm like, <laughs> there's something in this. Yeah. So I then started migrating from physical security and started doing IT security, partly because of, the, of uh, when you're taking on a job in um, physical security, you, you've got to do a, a threat assessment. A threat assessment can be three to six months' work. And as the internet came through, my ability to do a threat assessment became better, yeah. rather than actually do, going out driving around and doing my personal research. And so I had to get computer literate. I then saw a future in it, and so I migrated less away from the physical and started on doing more of the uh, IT. Never, and have not looked back. You see, this is, I'm a bit of a sad individual because uh, conflict fascinates me. I don't like being involved in it, and that's the truth. Even to this day, I, yeah, I, and I'm I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sociopathic tendencies spring to mind, right? But it fascinates me because I just find it easy to get on with people and to fight them. That, that, that's just me. But one of the things I'm a huge fan of military strategy. I'm a very sad man when it comes to stuff like that. Sun Tzu, I still believe, had it right. Absolutely. Napoleon had it right. Rommel had it right. And like, especially if you, you mention Owen Rommel, they had no way. You if, you're tacti- well, if you're talking tactical, though, aren't you? Yeah. Not ideology. No. But that's it. I'm, I look past that, you know. And again, like, yeah. Rommel actually was one of the guys that was, yeah, he had the utmost respect for Montgomery. Yeah, they were like, right, okay, we'll do this. But it, it's the whole shift. And yeah, this is sort of like, it's tangentially linked to martial arts. But there's more money now invested in cybercrime than there is Bobby's on the beat. Yeah. They reckon that the next logical thing in the military is going to be the same thing. And you're like, but we're still at war with each other. How's that work out? Yeah. So with your unique insight onto this, how, how do you how do you see that? How do you see this playing out? I think you're right. I mean, cybercrime is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, smaller organisations have been targeted. I mean, we just had a big thing about the iPhones. Mm. Um, a, a new security pack come out for the iPhones. Um, there are, you know, um, vulnerabilities being discovered all of the time. So, you know, I, I think cyber uh, attacks are going to become greater and greater. I think it's going to hit military technology. They're going to take over military technology. There's been arguments as to whether um, some of the planes have been hijacked and, and ditched have been done by remote control. or, You know, and, and whether it's actually true or not, it's not far from the, from the truth. It, it can be done. Yes. There's no two ways about it. It yeah. can be done. Um, 
So I think, unfortunately, that the, the military side of it and um, the policing side of it, I think you're right. I think there'll be less physical people and more cyber people. But you, you know, this cyber policing. Yeah, but this is you can't teach martial arts though virtually, and that's the, that's no. the truth. <laughs> well, do you know what? I have seen a few of those apps, and I, I just don't. I don't. I just don't see the martial art versus. That. I, I'm actually guilty of starting doing my own YouTube channel recently, and and the reason for doing that is because, um, if the, the worst instructor in the world. It's called Sifu YouTube, Sensei YouTube, if yeah. you the title. Um, I can't tell you how many times people, students have come in and go, oh, I was on YouTube yesterday, and I just go, oh. Here we go again. Drop my head and shake it a lot. And I'm just like, really? Why? Why are you doing that when there's a perfectly good training environment? Well, I was just trying to, and I get what they're trying to do. There's a media out there that, that is there to be tapped into, um, and it's a wonderful resource, but it's, it's how it's used. It's like mm. any. It's like any other resource. It can be used for the good. It can be used for the bad. And you know, uh, keyboard warriors, Facebook, all these social media sites. There are some great people out there, some sharing great knowledge, and they are outnumbered and surrounded, a bit like Custer, with all these idiots. Yes. That, are, that, that have never trained. They've got a black belt in Kurta Yui up, and that's it. Yes. And they just <laughs> have an opinion, and all they do is they poke the hornet. Yeah. And they stir up trouble. Um, and I wrote an article recently, sort of going, is, is the, the, the social media world a good thing or a bad thing? And it, it's, it's really a dual-edged sword. It, it is the yin and yang of, of, of what's going on, because t things like the UK gathering today wouldn't have the attendance without social media. No. The, the, the Wing Chun Chi Sao gatherings that, that we attend, and all these getting together of different groups and different lineages and different family, all getting on, all training together, all having a, the same drive, that wouldn't happen. No. The ability to, to, to watch Dan and Santo, Dan's old videos with Bruce Lee, and all that sort of historical yeah. stuff. So I started off my YouTube channel purely and simply, sorry, it sounds like a sales pitch. No, no. Not meant, purely and simply because so many people said, oh, you know, I'd love to go out to Hong Kong and train, what's it like? And I said, well, it's not like it is now. No. Well, what was it like? And I said, well, I've got some, you know, <coughs> VHS, so excuse me. Um, VHS. Got, you know, I mean, I remember filming on my little VHSC or my Super 8s or whatever it was, and then thinking it was a good idea to transfer it onto a VHS tape, which just sat in my loft for 25 years, 30 years, yes. um, which I then suddenly went, what am I going to do with that? And I, I, I managed to find a, a DVD VHS transfer, and the quality is rubbish. Yes. But it, so it, it kind of shows a flavour of what? was like and so I started sharing those um, purely and simply because those days have gone yeah Matthew Gibson's 93 years old now he's not going to be around a lot longer yeah let's be honest you know um, and although he seems in great health and you know you, you don't get to see him on a day but, yeah but the thing is there's not many 130 year old men walking the streets no. so yeah, yeah, we have to accept that. And every day is precious. So, I mean, I actually made a, a, a deliberate policy when I recorded all these videos not to ever watch them. I have never watched any of them. I've only just started watching them. And people say, well, why not? I said, because that's my treasure trove for the next 30 years after I can't visit him and after he stopped teaching. But he's still there. Why, am I, why would I want to watch historical stuff when it's, it's always going to be there when I can watch the live? When, I, you know, when I'm not able to travel out there, that's when I'm going to start studying every single moment every single and pick up the nuances funny, that I haven't got so funny you said this because at the moment there, uh, nearly everything that Guru Dan is doing right now is being filmed everything and literally uh, again it's the same thing it's like guys are like when can I get a Dan, Dan, Dan and Asanto DVD and you're like but he's here right now exactly. come on guys uh, uh, you, you, you hit on something there 
with the YouTube. I actually have, if you, get, if you go on Facebook, you'll see the picture. I actually had to give the t-shirt away to Professor Trevor Roberts. Trevor's a, gr Trevor's a great old boy, you know, he's a legend, right? And I turned up and I had a t-shirt and it, it had the YouTube logo, but instead of YouTube, it had Jiu-Jitsu. And as soon as he saw it, he went, that's amazing. Where did you get it? And I went, YouTube. And he started laughing. He said, why do you wear it? And I said, because when I'm teaching, first thing one guy will come in and say, I saw this on and YouTube. And I, without sounding really crass, I've said it so many times before, you want to learn martial arts from YouTube. That is like learning lovemaking from a porno movie. That it, it, I'm sorry, it doesn't really work out. You can walk in through the door and say, you know, hello, I hear there's an old boiler that needs servicing. But then at that point, that's a good one, right? But then when you walk in, it's done. Yeah, yeah there's there's nothing better than just training. And it's, it's funny, just as you mentioned that, you're now part of a lineage. And I've only just come to the realisation myself because I'm part of one as well now. Absolutely. And I don't know... When did the realization hit you that you, your your actions and your behavior actually were impacted on people that were not so much the guys the guys that come through because we've already established that people who train with you are, are vetted mm. and yeah as I've said before I don't need you in my class mm. I'm the, I'm exactly the same for the same reason I sorry but I, I you know you can have two in martial arts you can have two things right you can have integrity and no Bentley, or you can have a Bentley and no integrity. You can't have, I, well, I haven't no, met anyone yet. No. And that's a few years of doing it. I don't want to become a martial art prostitute. No. You know, I love what I do. Um, I love what I do. But, and, and I tell everybody this, what people have to realize is, I am completely and utterly selfish. Simple as that, completely and utterly selfish. I don't share um, easily. So my reason for teaching is very, very simple. I can't get to Hong Kong and train that often. So for me, what I need to do is I need to train up really good hands in this country. If I train up good hands in this country, then I've got hands to play with. So I don't want to hold anybody back. I want to develop them. I want to train them up. It's a bit like buying a very hungry Rottweiler and then putting bacon on your heels and starting to jog. <laughs> my guys are snapping at my heels, trying to take a little lump out of me with all due respect and everything else. But they're also taught to don't hold back. Um, you've got to push. My job is to get my students better than me. If you watch the Olympics, um, what you'll find is that people are jumping faster, running faster, world records went left, right and centre. Martial arts should do the same thing, we should all be getting better. The only reason why, and this is my humble opinion, the only reason why people aren't getting better is that some instructors have such an ego to protect that they hold their students back. Well if they do that, 100%. then their students are going to hold their own students back and we're going to decrease in quality. The law of diminishing returns. Absolutely. It's it's so so right. It's the one thing that I I've explained so many times. You know, I came from a karate background. We did a lot of the reality stuff as well. And then obviously, I'd always wanted to do jeet kune, and literally because I like the I like the idea of being an individual in a collective but you're an individual in a collective because you choose to be one that's right so i'm not just being thrown into some like lumped in with everybody else and it was the first time i ever saw danny nosanto and he said the hierarchy in kali is like a pyramid turned upside down in every other art i'm at the top and you're at the bottom he said i'm the other way and he said the pyramid is upside down you're i'm here to serve you because i know more than you I'm helping you. And he said, the beauty of this 
is as you're teaching people and as they go up through the grades, you said, I'm still at the bottom. I'm at the end of the funnel. So then my students come back and said, have you ever seen this? Or they've gone off and they've trained. And he said, and ultimately we enrich everybody. And yeah. you're like, wow, that's the guy I want to follow. Absolutely. This, you know, you've said something there and I know the title now I'm going to be giving the podcast because I want to be selfless, but I'm selfish. Oh, but by being so selfish, I ultimately become quite selfless. Yeah. Because I think, as I say, for me, it is a selfish journey. One, I'm learning Wing Chun for me, not for anybody else. I wasn't, didn't learn to share. What I found was that, I, and, and I remember my teacher telling me this, he said that when you train, you learn for the first time. When you teach it, you learn for the second. Because you are constantly challenged yeah. by, by, by what, by, by, because you go, it's like this, and they go, yeah, but what about? And you go, um, oh, right, yeah. And then you start thinking laterally and you start and you start f covering a lot more bases because you get hit by things coming left, right and centre right, and, you, and, and you have to think on your feet. If you know your subject matter, you can answer it, but yeah. you may not be experienced in answering it. So as you start to teach it, you're then starting to reappraise it and you start to revalue it and you look at it from a different perspective uh, and that just makes you better. But, you, you know, just as you're saying this, one of the things that uh, I... it confounds me especially in the UK is the amount of guys who are teaching martial arts and don't research no and I'm, I'm that's because they live in a bubble yeah uh, and, and you know there are there are schools that I'm aware of that you know how can I put it they train in Birmingham they stay in Birmingham their world is Birmingham the world is their classroom um, I, I you know I, I took Hong Kong last year 41 students mixed ability students uh, admittedly, it was a bit like herding starlings, getting them on the underground. I've got to be honest; uh, it, was, it was kind of challenging. Um, but uh, I want them to go out. I want them to go out and meet my teacher because you know it's, it's not often you get a chance to do that. You know, no. um, I want them to see somebody who's um, you know ninety-three years old, weighs about seven and a half stone, dripping wet, um, yet embarrasses me. You know, instead of sitting in a in a wheelchair or pushing a zimmer frame around with his great grandchildren, he's, he's knocking lumps out of me and making me look ridiculous which yes. is great because you know i am not the best product that there is there are there are a lot of people out there much more senior than myself um they get to meet my some of my training partners my kung fu brothers i mean some of my kung fu brothers started training in 1967 you know yip man was still alive wow. um you know they've been around the block some of them are, one of the guys is a bare knuckle fighter that's how he's earned his living for the last 30 40 years uh, some of them are technicians some of them are you know some of them are a little bit out on the fringe a little bit wild yeah uh, but they are better than me i am not they, you know, you always see your instructor as being the end product, and he's not. He's just part of a family of which there is better out there. Not only is my teacher better, which they kind of go, yeah, I get that. But hang on a minute, there are, I've got senior kung fu brothers. I've got junior kung fu brothers that, that, because of my job, probably train more than hours than I do. Yeah. And they're better than I am. They're junior in the family tree, but not junior in skill. And we, you know, the Chinese do put place a lot of emphasis on the family tree. Yes. But it's it's only like, you know. Um, my younger brother, I'll always be the elder to my younger brother. If I got knocked down in an accident tomorrow, in 50 years' time, I would still be the elder brother, even yes. though my brother's a lot older than me. Yeah. I've got um, older Kung Fu brothers who stopped training 30 years ago that might have come back to training. Their skill is not that great, but they will always be my senior. And I've got juniors 
that I've got to be really sharp with because you know what, they're good. Yeah. You know, and they're keen and they're hungry. And I love that. I love that about the family. I love the fact that it doesn't matter who you are and what you are, somebody comes in, they will always challenge you in some way or other. They'll always push you. They'll always re-motivate you. So taking students out there is a privilege that, that you know, not only was it my students, but I got students who were doing instructors taking their students out. Yes. You know, we've got four generations in a classroom, all training together. Nobody saw them as generations, ironically. Nobody referred to them as generations. They were just starry-eyed and it, well, wanting see, to learn. Exactly. And, it's like, yeah, as I said before, Danny Nosanto is one of the only guys that I get starstruck around. And it, uh, but then every now and again, I don't know if you you've had this, where you have to catch yourself every now and again because you feel like you're almost getting complacent because you get that comfortable in their company, and then you go, I'm not holding them in in the reverence that they need, and then someone will turn around and go. So you shake hands with the guy who used to be shaking hands with Bruce Lee. Wow, that's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not really a Bruce Lee fan. I'm more. I'm, I'm shaking hands with the guy who's training with Kobe Bryant next week yeah. or training with Anderson Silva, you yeah. know. And and that's the one thing, as you were saying this, it martial arts keeps you relevant. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, people want to talk about the fountain of youth, you know, that's that's where you want to be. You want to be constantly reassessing, reevaluating, and going, you know, okay, but, I want to be, be fair, Most of the best guys I've ever met of all any martial art branch have been the most humble. They're not. They don't want the titles, and they don't. They don't need the glorification. They just want to share. Um, I remember uh, about three or four years ago in Hong Kong, I was, I was out there, and there was a, a young lad. The Yip Man films. Oh, it brings in some great people, but you know what? It brings in the wannabes a lot. All oh, right. So the classes were busy, full of people that thought, thought they were, you know. And there, were, there, were, there was an element, and I, and I hate to say it, there was an element that because I wasn't Chinese, um, that they were also massively better than me. Or they, <laughs> that's always a great one, isn't it? You know, this is a shame. And there was, uh, the, I remember this one lad, and uh, he was sat quite a nice lad, um, and Master Chan, as he always does, Sifu said, "Oh, so we'll do a cheese demonstration." Now, when I train with him. I don't hold back. Mm. I've never held back. He doesn't want somebody to hold back and, and, and he wants somebody to, to, to push him and do it because he can do the do. He can yeah. walk the walk without a problem. So I'm there and you, you can hear my, my pack sounds landing on his arms and you can see his arm going red and, and it'd stop if he didn't like it. I'm, I've been doing this for 30 years with him or whatever it is. You know, not quite 30 years, but uh, a long time with him. We know each other very, very mm. well. I know what he's capable of. You know, if, 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 if I get a little bit cheeky, there'll be a, a shot coming in just to go, you know what? Yeah, not yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah, you, you think you, you're, Calm getting down, there. Son. you're getting there. Yeah, you're not yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You know, For all the, you know, age and, and, and frailty, you know, the brain's not frail. No. And the, 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 the muscles move and the arm. And he doesn't look doing, doing a lot. It doesn't look like he's doing a lot, but when he when he does it, it's amazing. And uh, anyway, this young lad afterwards came up to me. He said, he said to me, he said, you are very disrespectful. So I said, Ben. He said, you are very disrespectful. You, you train with an old man like that. You shouldn't hit an old man like that. And I said, really? Okay. I said, come with me. So I took him over to Sifu and I got one of my, my, my Kung Fu brothers and said, I need you to listen to this. And so the kid said it again. So the young lad translated it, because it was said in English, to Sifu in Chinese, Cantonese. And Sifu went mad. Absolutely. Really? Threw him out of the class. If you think I'm an old porcelain doll, don't bother turning up. Wow. Because <laughs> that's not who he is. No. You know? uh, one, of the re one of the things that I admire most about him and it's unfortunately since 2008 he's not done any UK seminar last one was 2008 but every single seminar he's ever done he's one of the few people in the world that I've ever seen stand up and go right who wants to play sticking hands with me 
you know, it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter where he is, anybody. It, um, it, it doesn't bother him. I, I, I remember reading that and I, I, I was really impressed because I, I, I've read quite a bit about him and everything, I, everything I've read is just great. I, uh, it, and again, it's just as you said, the porcelain doll thing, it's very funny because um, about two years ago, I was at a, a Guru Dan seminar in Germany and when I mentioned earlier about being relevant, he was the first person I saw with an iPod. And when he was showing us the iPod, he says, there's a thousand songs in there. And we were like, what, what are they on a disc or something? He goes, no, no, they're, they're files that you put down. And I was like, I don't understand that. They were, explain to me, Guru. And then he was the first person with an iPhone, iPad. And we were there and he's got his iPad out. And yeah, he is on the, whatever's new, he's got it. So he's got this out and he's showing us his workout, he's, and he's training at the moment, doing a lot of Cambodian boxing, right? So Khmer boxing, uh, yeah, Khmer boxing, right? So he's doing this Khmer boxing, he's doing 20 rounds a week. And we're watching it, and his trainer is really grilling him. And Terry Barnett, my instructor, Terry was like, Guru, that, that, that's, really, you know, that, that's really hard. And then Terry said, I can't really watch much more. And yeah, I watched it up to the 17th round. And I said to Guru, I said, Guru, I'm tired watching this. Mm. And uh, he he said something. He said, I train now because I don't want to stop. Mm. Because again, it, it you know, if there was, it, yeah, they, we're talking about great men here, mm. yeah. And you know, if a great man came out with something that we thought was a bit hokey, we'd go, okay, but he's a great man. We'll let him do it. The great men never come out with that. They always come out with the truth. And uh, you know, I remember Guru saying, he goes, martial arts like life there's physics involved a body emotion stays in motion he says once i stop will i be able to get started again and you're like wow yeah that's the man and sometimes they say you know and this is what i love about being around these people because you know you look at them and go yeah they're wise and blah, blah, because of it but they come out with such simple obvious stuff i remember sitting sitting over a uh, what's called yum cha going out for dinner going out for a cup of tea and chatting and you know it's always like is anything you want to ask anything else and you always want to ask that question you want you want to come up with that question that's going to challenge them and they're going to look at you and go that's what I, you know and i'm like you're the guy i've been trying waiting for to think of a question <laughs> yeah. so i was like so i said yeah i said um you know i'll, I'll get you on this one what's the difference between a teacher and a student and I'm waiting for some, you know, really long-winded. And the translation, the, the, the translation was very simple, very succinct, very straightforward, and so easy. I was like, oh. and he said, oh, he said, student makes the simple look difficult, and the teacher makes it difficult look simple. Wow! And all you got to do is train. And I'm like, oh. <clears throat> right. That was the best answer in the world to what now looks like the simplest question in the world. Yeah. How did I not know that? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was an intelligent guy. Yeah, I know. And that's, oh. that's what you get from just spending the time. And for me, I probably learnt as much about Wing Chun approach and, and, and everything around it in the, the times we went out for dinner and sitting down and chatting than I ever did just training. Because I learnt more about him. And we'd have these ridiculous conversations, considering that, that he speaks very, very, very little English. Yes. And my Chinese, when I went out there, was non-existent. At least now I can get my face slapped in three dialects and, and, and order a taxi. Uh, what more do you need? Exactly. Uh, yeah, what more do you want? I, I can ask the way. I, my, my Cantonese is fluent enough to ask where the toilet is, and I have no idea what they've replied. 
So I, I just watched the hands and went yeah. into, and I like, like. But so we were trying to understand each other's language, and it was just one of those little moments. We went for a walk. It was, it was at my house. We went for a walk, and he's pointing at things and saying, "Tell me in English. Tell me." In English. He was always trying to learn, and he pointed to a bit of something on the floor, and I went, "Oh, it's, it's wood. A bit of wood. Wood." Right. And then pointed at, "Oh, that's a tree." Okay, so he, he waved his arms in a circle. What's a lot of them? I said, oh, a lot of trees is called a wood. He went, no, 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 that's a wood. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Literal. And then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and but, but questioning at the same time. And then he said, um, what's the difference between an inn and a hotel? So I said, well, an inn's very small, like a, like a pub type thing with a few rooms, and a hotel's very big. Why the holiday inn then, he says, folding his arms. I'm like, <laughs> okay. And it's, you know, it's just that inquisitiveness and that non-stop always learning. Yeah. Asking questions. He'd do a seminar and afterwards he'd ask me if I thought he'd done the seminar well. Wow. Because there was no like I am who I am. It was just very, very simple stuff. And yeah, I, I, there's a lot to learn there about personality, mentality, attitude and approach. Way over the top of a kick or a punch. And the people that learn the kick and the punches, they're scraping the top, they're scraping the surface, they're not digging deep. And and hopefully I've you know, I've become a martial arts scuba diver. I've started digging down a bit and deep, going a bit deeper. But then, like the ocean, it's a long way down. Well, I'll tell you something, it is a long way down. I t- it's a journey, and we, we love the journey, don't we? The des- how many times you've done that? You've gone on holiday, and, the, the, you know, travelling there was way better than when you get there. Yeah. That's what it is, and the beauty is the journey's never ending. No. I know that sounds cliched, but it's... No, yeah, dream. absolutely right. And we'll always be there. Do you know what? It's uh, Not often I say this, but you, I was looking forward, because obviously I've been reading about you for years and stuff. Looking uh, it's for- all a lie, by the way, because I wrote it. Just remember that. Uh, no, so there was a few <laughs> things that were written about you that weren't from yeah. you as well. But it's been an absolute pleasure. That's been and my, my no, thank you. No, thank you so much. Beautiful. Thanks for listening today. You can listen to all our interviews on MixedMartialArts.com. Mixed Martial Arts is a Pay Your Headphones production. Wah!